as baby movers were kind of turning the corner and getting older, I kept hearing, nobody gets me, nobody gets us. My doctor just said, well, welcome to menopause. That's just what is it, as if, boom, that's it. You know, it's as good as it's gonna ever get for you. So get used to it. That's kind of what women were hearing. It was like, no, 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 we're not settling. So I knew that somebody had to be a voice these women and to dig in a little deeper. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Today, we sit down with Deborah Atkinson. I'm super excited. This is a topic that I feel very passionate about because it affects all women over 50 and it affects my mother and then all the young women in the world, their mothers. You have a great website, flipping50.com, with ebooks and courses and nutrition recommendations and workout recommendations. And it is such a wealth of knowledge. And I'm so excited to have you share that with our listeners today. Well, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. We speak the same language. Totally. Absolutely. 100%. So just give us like a little quick snippet into your background of getting into this world of kind of like exercise and exercise physiology and nutrition for a very certain population. Yeah. Okay. So the long story goes, somebody recently said, what did you do before you did this? We were at a fitness conference and I said, um, high school. (laughs) 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 Absolutely nothing. Actually, that's not true. About two years into college, I realized graphic design was not it because at that time, everybody smoked and drank and stayed up all night. And I'm like, I don't (laughs) fit here. (laughs) like, I like my circadian rhythm. (laughs) And I don't really drink that much and I don't suck. I don't know. So I switched gears, went into physical education, and my parents were like, what are you doing? What is that? Like, Because <laughs> nobody was doing that at that point. But, you know, I worked with older adults all the way through. Even as a student, I got them because I think I had older siblings and I had older parents. Like, my parents hung out with my friend's grandparents. So I was really used to building rapport, and I was doing a lot of research for this, for Flipping 50, before I knew I was. And yet, then when I turned 49, everything began to like, wow, I thought I got them. Now I really get them, really get them. And that changed everything for me. But I kept hearing as baby movers were kind of turning the corner and getting older, I kept hearing, nobody gets me. Nobody gets us. My doctor just said, well, welcome to menopause. That's just what is it. As if, boom, that's it. You know, it's as good as it's going to ever get for you. So get used to it. That's kind of what women were hearing. It was like, no, 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 we're not settling. So I knew that somebody had to be a voice of these women and to dig in a little deeper. And, you know, we talked a little bit in the green room about how, there's very little research done featuring women, period, but featuring women in perimenopause, menopause, and beyond, it's so small that we're so different. The reasons they say there's no research, we can't use those people is because our 
metabolism is different, our hormones are different, our body composition is different, our socialization is different. And it's like, exactly, that's why we need to be featured because we're so unique. And you know, it's hard to control. That's yeah. their problem. But what's know, the research statistics? It's crazy. Yeah, 39% of all sports medicine and exercise science research features females. So then if you look at, so like you, right? You're in the middle of pregnancy, small percent, right? And yeah. This perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, small percent. So you have to think that if you're not seeing any results, you're frustrated. Well, it's not all your fault, right? Because it probably wasn't a program designed for you based on people like you. You really need to ask that question. And that's like a number one we can emphasize that for everybody here, ask this program, was it designed for me? You know, whoever might, might be listening should be asking that. Yeah. I'm sure if women were asking their trainers that their trainers would be a little like, uh, 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 right. Because not many trainers are trained in the older population. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an underserved population. It's so great that you're the voice for yes. them. So I know, and I see this in my mother, so I'm just going to use her as an example, but once she hits like perimenopause and is now postmenopause, the weight wouldn't fall off as it once used to. Yeah. And she goes, Em, I have to eat less and work out more. And I was like, no, 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 no. That is not the answer. Can you tell us why that is not a good strategy, especially over 50? Stress, just the word, there you go. <laughs> you know, we can wrap it up now. <laughs> it comes down to stress. So I know in menopause and, and perimenopause, everybody starts talking about, oh, it's my hormones. And we're really referring to estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone because they're starting to plummet during those times. And it's true they're coming down, but really it's just like they're, they're like getting our attention. Cortisol is still the bad boy that is kind of pulling the shots and like, I got you, I got you estrogen, I got you. <laughs> and that's the problem. So I like to say, you know, when we were growing up, I bet, you know, somebody had, well, maybe not you, I don't know, you're pregnant. <laughs> I still, I still want to have less. <laughs> Right. Oh yeah. We all had that, but nobody nobody got this stress talk, and we really like this stuff might happen. Here's here's what's going to happen, and here's how you're going to feel, and here's how you deal with it in a positive way, and not alcohol, not chocolate cake, not smoking. You know, and and we we didn't get that. So hopefully, in our generation now, we can gift that to our kids and younger populations. So they won't go through the same dealing. But when we exercise more, and let's just say this, exercise period, you your body likes to be on the couch with the remote control. I mean, <laughs> you know, exercise of any kind is stress. Even just low to moderate exercise is not resting on the couch with you know somebody feeding you grits. That's what we would all love to do. And so that can be stress. So if you dial it up, or you do more, so you've got volume or intensity or both, which is what we tend to do. Because crazy as we are, we usually, if it's not working, we'll do more of what's not working. Because surely that will work, right? <laughs> I mean, right, right. 
but that's stress on our body. And then if we're eating less, a diet is stress. So that's really like telling your best, your body, your messaging. When you eat less, you're saying, slow down, slow down that metabolism. And when you exercise more, you're trying to tell it, rev it up, go faster. So it's like you're in a car, you got one foot on the accelerator and one on the brake. How well does that work for you? Right? <laughs> and your body is confused when we're doing that. So it's more stressed. And what it's going to do is hold on to weight, everything. It's just going to say, wait, I'm going to protect you here in this storm. It doesn't know you're causing the storm, you know, and so it backfires big time. Yeah. So what would you recommend in terms of, so if we're saying eating less and exercise more is not the way forward because it's stress, it's a necessary stress, probably shifts our hormones even more into like not a good place. What would you recommend, especially on like an exercise front? Because I know a lot of recommendations are go for a walk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, go for a walk and what? (laughs) And it really depends. So let's say, who are we talking to here? So if you're listening and you are, I haven't been doing anything. I'm My conditioning level is low. That's a great starting point. So yeah, go for a walk, get yourself out in a regular habit, do core exercise and walking. That gets you functional, you know, and that's important. So that's another buzzword. We may want to come back to that, Emily. And yeah. What is that and when is that appropriate? Because it's one of our goals, but it's different than the hormone goal. So you got to balance that and figure out what's my priority right now. So a walk is great, but when we're talking about I need to balance hormones because all of a sudden I can't lose that weight in perimenopause, I've got this belly, never had that belly, or I'm seeing cellulite, never had that, make it go away. What you need to do is high intensity exercise. So a little bit of interval training, there's a threshold where it helps and one where it doesn't, which is really interesting. And that is, it's proven that like doing six minutes of high intensity doesn't help your hormones as much as 10. You've got to do at least 10. Hmm. The interesting thing is, is that like a minute and then a minute rest or a minute hard and a minute rest and doing 10 of the hard minutes total that's what you want to work yourself up to. So eventually, you know, if we said today, get off the couch and do 10 minutes as hard as you possibly can, that's a long time to go hard, but little bits of it will add up. And so gradually increasing the time you can go harder, smart. And the other thing is heavy weight training is shown to help hormone balance. Lightweight will help performance and your function and so will moderate and heavy weight. But if it's really, I need hormone balance so that I can lose weight, reduce cortisol, it's heavy weight and high intensity interval training that really is getting all the attention. Is there a certain frequency per week that ideally someone, female over 50, would start to strive for? Let's say they're like more of a, like a couch potato that they should set as a goal for themselves. Yeah, great question. So when we're talking interval training, the amount of times you'd want to do that per week when you start is just one, just one. And depending on how much you do and what else is involved in your life. I mean, let's say you're, you're on the couch, but you have a, you know, nine to five job or like most of us is five to nine, 5am to 
9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we work at home, we work at, at work, and then we work at home some more. But want to look at just one time a week, but even, and don't feel bad like you're a beginner if you're doing that, because I'm in Boulder, Colorado, the mecca of world champions in triathlon. You know, if they're doing a really tough, high-intensity workout, they may be doing one a week because it takes so much recovery. And if you don't, you're just injured. You're not better. So one or two times a week for interval training, and really the best threshold is probably minutes per week. And what we know is 45 minutes of high-intensity exercise is really the ceiling per week. So you could do that. Ideally, I would do it in two or in three so three 15-minute high-intensity sessions or two 20 to 25-minute sessions would be appropriate at a max. Weight training-wise, the sweet spot is twice a week, just twice. Not every day, you know, not upper body, lower body, but do the whole thing so we really get metabolism boosted and do twice a week. It's a sweet spot because once a week, not quite enough to gain you the strength and the endurance that you want. And three times a week was actually too much. And mm. what we see is people tend to couch compensate <laughs> the workout, but then they, they don't do anything else. And they're not in better shape. They're not higher fitness levels than people who do twice, but they're very active then in their life. You know, they're going up and down stairs, they're gardening, they're golfing, they're swinging grandchildren around because they've got energy. And so it's sweet spot is better. Not too little, not too much. The Goldilocks is where you want to be. Amazing. So when, for the people who don't know what interval training is, can you give some examples? Absolutely. So you do little intervals, so short, intense bouts of exercise, and then you're going to alternate them with okay, I get a break. And the whole idea is you want to feel like you earned that break. Like you're really concerned with how many more seconds, how long are we doing this? That's what you should be thinking. So it's not a matter of go out and jog a minute and then walk a minute. That's alternating intervals of something, but it's not high intensity. High intensity is when you get to the end of say 30 seconds or a minute and you're bending over, putting your hands on your knees, breathing. I mean, you have to stop. You want to stop. That's really the definition of what it is. Got it. And then going going back to this idea of like functional versus body part, right? So I'll tell my mother to lift weights and she'll think I'm talking like bicep curls or, you know, like little presses overhead. Yeah. So I'm like, mom, we don't need bigger biceps. We need you to like squat and deadlift. But um, he knows that we're thrown under the bus. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. She'll listen and she'll love it. So what, what is your recommendation? Cause I'm on the same page of like full body functional, but especially at a certain age when like things feel creaky or tight or the movement is even hard to get into, right? Like if we've been sitting at a desk for a long time, squatting with your butt below your knees is going to be hard. Oh yeah. So again, I think for every individual, they've got to figure out where am I? What, what describes you? And if movement doesn't feel good, then I think your first priority is function. So let's get you functioning really well. So 
we, you know, run to pleasure, we run away from pain. So we want to make it feel good so that you'll be wanting to do more because the better you feel, the more you move, the better you feel. I mean, it just is full circle. That's as simple as it is. So definitely, I think it's making sure that we're offsetting the postures of, you know, this is it. I'm in it. I'm right here in front of a keyboard. And that's what we do all day so much. So it's, you know, whether it's opening this up, whether it's getting your shoulders out of your ears, ladies, right? Yeah. <laughs> Making sure we get the hips open and that your right and your left hip are in balance and your your piriformis is not screaming at you. Your knees are in good alignment. And you remember, you know, what it's like to move freely. And I think that's such a huge word because I think a lot of people feel like they're kind of trapped in a body that isn't doing what their mind would like it to do and don't think they can get it back, but you know better than anybody, you know, doing the right things, the right stretching, the right balance of strengthening weakened muscles can cause alignment again to make everything feel good. Yeah. We always talk about it as like all our movement patterns are stored in our brain and we just got to like remind the brain how to do them so that they can get the right things firing. What would you recommend for women over 50 that are struggling with menopause or perimenopause in terms of how do they feed themselves before they work out and then after? Great question. Oh, because we're talking so much about should I fast? Should I eat? Yeah. Not eat. What's the best thing? And, it, and again, I go back to when we were first, we were talking about dieting. Dieting is stress. And so let's just put that over here. There's no question that intermittent fasting is working for a lot of people. You think what you don't want to, what nobody wants to assume is that it will work for you. And I like to think about fasting on a continuum, you know, and first have women, can you just have breakfast, lunch, and dinner and not snack and get mm. breakfast closing the kitchen? That's a good test of a beginner's fast and giving your body a chance to start burning fast even between meals before we go crazy, right? And then I think it's important to say at breakfast and at lunch and at dinner, have you figured out the foods that work well for you? So if you go to a fast, you're coming back to a great spot of good food that heals you and works for your gut and your metabolism right now. That's important. So coming back to what about exercise? Do I eat? Don't I not eat? So first I think that question about let's not stress you first. Let's just listen to hunger. How about if we did that? So I think if you exercise first thing in the morning or second, I was like a little padding before workout in the morning to let your, discs in the back kind of unplump so you're not forcing pressure on that spine but if you're exercising and you aren't hungry yet and that's typical for you you know I think we don't need to force feed anybody but pay attention to your energy level you know do you feel like it's super hard because you're distracted because you're hungry or you're you're low on energy then I think let's start giving you something easy and it's related to how hard are you going to be working? So low and slow intensity exercise, a little bit more fat and protein, you know, and eat less because you're not going to use it. But if you're doing high intensity, 
your body starts with carbohydrates. So a little bit of a, you know, a half of a banana with a small amount of nut butter on that potentially. And you're just enough to start your fire with the carbs, have a little fat for it later burning and test yourself. So I think nobody can answer that question better than you can. How's your, your belly feel when you eat and when you eat a little versus more taking in some protein before and after can be really smart for women who are in perimenopause, menopause and beyond because muscle is harder to come by. It is, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Bumper, you know, of protein on both ends can be helpful. Yeah. So it sounds like one of the things you're saying is that snacking is not optimal for hormone balance. And I think we used to get told, eat many small meals every two hours in our day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So can you talk about why we should probably start to not snack (laughs) in between our meals? (laughs) So here's the science on that. There is zero, zero science that shows that there is an increase in metabolism by snacking or having five mini meals a day. But there is, on the other side, plenty of research showing that actually encourages and increases fat storage. And and if you think of it this way, for your body to go dip into your fat stores, so go down there in that hip, in that thigh, and get that fat to burn it, takes a lot more energy. It's work. And so if you're giving it a snack, you're just saying, here you go. You don't need to go burn that fat. I'll just give you this right now. So never mind. We'll just leave that there. And that's kind of what what happens. So there's no reason ever for your body to dip into fat stores if you're constantly giving it something. And studies show that about three to four hours after a meal, that's when our bodies start to kind of dip into, they're burning a little bit more fat, even when we're doing things at rest, like, you know, talking like this. So if you don't ever give it that span, you know, you're really kind of hurting yourself. So snacking, not so good. Yeah. What do you think about, because I know there's a trend, at least of the women I see, because we have kettlebells in our treatment rooms. And sometimes people look at them and like go wide eyed and they're like, Oh, that's going to injure me, (laughs) which, you know, I have to kind of change the mindset that it's not the, it's not the tool that's going to injure you. It's usually like some user error. What do you think about exercising, but too light too often? Mm, Can be just as stressful as going too heavy. Yeah. So there is, Probably in arthritis, we can look at somebody who's got arthritis and a lot of the people who might have perimenopause or beyond may have it starting up somewhere in some joint. But with arthritis, the sweet spot is kind of finding where you're not doing too few reps with a heavy weight because that'll put more stress on those joints that are already inflamed and aggravated. But the opposite is always also true. If you're doing too little weight so many times, what you're doing is just wear and tear on those joints. So you may be making yourself tired, but let's make that distinction. Big difference between reaching muscular fatigue and just getting tired. And I love the saying, I don't know who said it first, but any exercise can make you tired. 
but only certain exercise makes you better. Yeah. And I know sometimes it feels like, okay, I'm going to jumpstart my eating and my exercise. I'm going to go like all out 100%. And then we burn out quickly, especially if our hormones are not in check. So what do you tell women in terms of recovery? Mm. We need much more than we did when we were sober. And it doesn't mean we're broken because here's the great news. We can work just as hard. We have the capacity to work just as hard. And we may, if you're thinking, no, it's not true. I'm tired all the time. I hear that. But that is mostly because you haven't extended the rest and recovery time. So say, you know, back in the day, you'd go and you'd look at the aerobic schedule and it would be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we've gotten into that routine. And unfortunately, it's kind of like we're expected if we go to a program to fit into the program time and day and offering. And so it'd be really good if you went in and said to whoever runs that program, you know, that's not going to work for me. Here's what I need. Can you work with me here? These are the days I know I need, and I need these rest days in between. So I don't want to pay for your program because it doesn't fit me, right? That would be good. But 72 hours for a lot of people now is so much better. You know, it happens sometime over 40. We don't know where it happens exactly, but, you know, me at 55 to me at 45 or 35, I need more rest and recovery. And then I can work as hard. So I'll know my workouts start to suffer. I'm still, I'm breathing harder at levels I shouldn't be breathing harder at if I don't have enough rest and recovery time. Not because I don't have the fitness level. It's just, I may be squelching it periodically or or at that moment because I haven't had the rest. So instead of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, less exercise, more rest. So it may be Monday to Thursday so that you're not sore. You don't have extra fatigue. You're getting good sleep at night. And then you're going to feel like, well, I'm not doing as much exercise if I'm doing that, right? But that's okay. The point isn't really what volume of exercise is it? It's the outcome, the transformation. So pay attention to that. Yeah. What do you find with women who really love, they have a workout they really love, right? So let's say it's whatever it may be, it might be Zumba, dance, cardio, and they kind of only want to do that, but it doesn't, it's not very versatile. Like, what do you, what do you tell those women? Yeah. I like to tell women they've got, they've got lots of body parts. Like <laughs> yes. we take care of the muscles, we got to take care of the bones and we got to take care of you loving it as well. That's important, but we don't get a pick. So I will, I will often have mm. somebody say, Oh, well, my, my exercise is yoga. And I was like, well, what about your strength training? And what about your cardiovascular exercise? And, you know, it's got to be like a slice of a pie. Most of us, you know, we can look at what's your body type and what's your need and, you know, what do you enjoy? And that those can all be a part of it. But we've all got to have strong bones. You know, we've all got to have muscle. That's probably even more important than the bones because whether the bones are frail or not, if we have strong muscles, we're going to stay upright. We're going to avoid those risks of falls and we'll be in better shape to do all the things we want to do, which you know, the older we get, the more independence is one of those things. We want to stay independent, all of us. Yeah. Nobody wants somebody else wiping their diaper at, you know, a later age. 
Yeah. What do you find? Because you've worked with hundreds of thousands, was it 145,000 women? What do you find is the biggest motivator? Because I think sometimes when we're younger, we think, I want to be skinny, right? And just like, and then, you know, kind of where I'm at, I'm kind of like 38 heading into the 40s is, I don't want to be skinny more. I just want to be strong so I can be present for my kids and like throw them around and wrestle them and not injure myself. What do you find really motivates women when they get to a certain age? Well, uh, my mom is the anomaly. (laughs) 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 I'll tell you a little story about that. But, you know, I think what it comes down to is confidence. Mm. The thing that people tell me most is, I want to feel good in my body. And so there isn't any tie to really any skinny and weight, although they still may, by default, say, I want to lose weight. But when we really dig, it's like, what if you just felt confident, you liked the reflection in the mirror, and that weight was exactly the same? Would that be okay? And they're like, of course, yeah, I'm all for that. (laughs) Where do I sign up? And So I think it's really confidence. We just want to feel good and we want to be able to do the things we want to do with the people we love doing them with when we want to do them, you know, no constraints. So when she was 87, she'd had a hip replacement by that point. She, you know, has high cholesterol, high blood pressure, but she says to me when I'm at home and after I'd stopped nagging her, because I was a couple of decades into it that this wasn't working for either one of us. Only a couple of decades. <laughs> she, she turns to me and she says, when I'm there for the weekend, you know, if you have time, you know, could you show me some exercises to work on this? And she pats her belly. Oh, where you go. And I'm just thinking the woman has so many reasons she should be doing that. And that is not one of them, but I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> so whatever your motivation is, if it's vanity and, and why wouldn't it be? I mean, we've never gotten a compliment for looking ugly or fat, right? I mean, so of course we're going to, you know, but if that gets you off the couch and I think it will probably for most of us at any age, you get the bonus of all the other things too. So go with it, <laughs> whatever motivates you. What, whatever is the motivator. Yeah. 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 Totally. So you have so much information out there. Where can people find you or where, where should they start? Great question. So flipping50.com and there actually is a video right on the side that says, where do I start? So perfect. you may show up for all different kinds of reasons, but hopefully we'll get you directed to the right spot. Awesome. And then how about like social media channels? Cause you have some YouTube videos. I was like, girl, you got to tell me your YouTube secrets. <laughs> how many people have watched? Like millions of people have watched your YouTube videos. It's amazing. A woman will do anything to get rid of that. Right? That's right. That's right. Get the bicep, lose the arm flab. <laughs> so social media across the board, it's flipping 50 TV, flipping five zero TV. Nice. Awesome. And I'm just curious what your day looks like. Oh, wow. There is no typical, but I'm a riser. So it's why I couldn't hang with those graphic designers. 
and they were going to bed, I was getting up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wake up in the summertime, sometime between four and five, because I have this great sunlight coming in off the mountains. So it's pretty awesome. Sun's up, I'm up. And um, usually down before the sun is down, however. But, you know, I'll do lots of meetings, webinars in the morning, and then I'll take a break. So I've got to have a little exercise break to kind of get me going again. But then it's like a second wind. And then I'll do lots of client meetings and appointments in the afternoon. Of course, every once in a while, we're shooting videos. This week, we shot videos for four hours on day. And then the next day, I said, add some salt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're like a midday worker outer? Yeah, you know, I would rather do it earlier, but my creative wheels turn early and they mm. don't turn late. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I know I'll exercise, even if I have to push it a little later than I want to, but yeah. I can't make that brain be creative later. So. That's true. Absolutely true. Deborah, thank you so much. It was so fun talking to you. Thank you. Always great to see you too. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you wanna share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys so much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.